Cake donuts are good in the right situation, not while you're running. Stick to the crullers. A Krispy Kreme is is like the poor man's wannabe crueler, so you could have a Krispy Kreme as well. Diz Runs Radio, episode 955, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well then, don't look now, but uh, 2021 is uh, just about halfway halfway behind us. It'll be halfway in just a, a couple few more days, but before we uh, turn towards the second half of uh, the year. Let's go ahead and, and do some questions, shall we? That's uh, the monthly tradition around here. The last Friday of every month is always dedicated to your questions, my answers, maybe a little bit of useful information that uh, goes goes somewhere in there as well. Uh, if you're new around these parts, uh, saddle up. These these Q&A episodes are, uh, are a bit of a thing. A good thing, bad thing, That your call. Uh, sometimes they get a little bit long, uh, hopefully, like I said, though, hopefully there's something useful that will come in here. We got a, a pretty good, uh, always a pretty good batch of questions, but actually some, some questions that I think will be fun to, uh, to dive into today. Something like 20 something questions. So who knows somewhere between an hour and like six hours is how long this episode will shake out. You'll know because you'll be able to see it in their uh, podcast feed. Uh, at this point, I don't know where we're at. We're at, uh, you know, not quite two minutes yet. Just getting started, just getting warmed up. Um, but, uh, anyway, like I said, if you're new around here, we do this every month. The best way to get your questions answered is to come join the Facebook group uh, because somewhere uh, about 10 days prior to the last Friday, so the second to last Wednesday, usually, uh, I put out a, a post that says, hey, what questions do you have for uh, the Q&A? Some of the tomfoolery questions get in there. Some of the serious questions get in there. We got, a, we got a, a whole mix as per usual, but you put your questions there. I answer them. It's really that simple. You can always send an email or a DM with your questions as well. I will admit that sometimes those get lost in the shuffle. Not purposefully, but they do. So the best way, join the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook or on the Facebooks next time you're there. Just search for the group, the Disruns Tribe. Click to access us or join us or whatever. We'll let you in and... Uh, We'll have some fun along the way. So, like I said, get 20, 20 ish questions today. If we if we shuffle past the first batch of nonsense questions about what are your plans for the summer and what are your plans for dinner tonight, I don't know. We'll, we'll start with the plans for your summer because that was the one that started off Melody's question. What are your plans for the summer? I don't know if that was a real question or if that was supposed to be a tomfoolery question like the rest of them that followed. Um, but I'll ask answer that one for you, Melody. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like. Th- me and plans don't exactly go, go real well together. Um, but you know, next week we'll be in Michigan at least next week. The first, the first couple of weeks of July, we'll be in Michigan visiting my family, which is one of those, one of those things that like, I kind of look forward to, but kind of, it's not as much a vacation as it would be nice for it to be. Um, hopefully a break in the weather. So we'll be a couple of weeks up there, um, between driving up, driving back. Then after that, I mean, it's anybody's guess. Addison's birthday is, is uh, middle of July. Then uh, I think she's spending a week at my in-laws, which will be great—a nice little, a nice little 
daughter break. Uh, just to, just Rebecca and I will be at home, but Rebecca will be doing. She does a couple summer camps at the school, so she'll be there for a couple weeks. I mean, you know, half days, but she'll be she'll be working. Um, I'll be working. Addison will be back, and then you know, like the tenth or something like that, ninth of August, school starts. So, uh, summer plans are pretty much you know like we're pretty much spoken for for the rest of the the summer. Although of course the the Florida summer that doesn't wrap up until. Thanksgiving. I don't know. There, there might be a race there. There's, there's talk of traveling to Vermont for a race. I don't know. I mean, don't, don't, don't book your, your travel just yet. We haven't booked our travel just yet, but that looks like it might be a possibility. Um, Rebecca and I, maybe Addison, although I'm, I'm, I'm angling to, to get the in-laws to come stay with, with her that weekend, take care of the dog, take care of the baby. Um, we'll see. Um, you know, and then, Training for some fall nonsense, Ragnar, maybe Ultra, we'll see. So I don't know. I mean, plans for the summer, like I, you know, it's it's the same same mess, different day, I guess. Other than than going to Michigan uh, and Addison's birthday. Otherwise, more more of the same. Running, life, everything in between. Uh, the rest of the nonsense plans, questions, plans for dinner, plans for plans, plans for these questions. Nah, that's what I think about your nonsense, y'all clowns. Next real question coming from Katie. But Melody, thank you for that question. I think it was a sincere question. If not, then you're one of the clowns. You're one of the clowns anyway. Let's not kid ourselves, but appreciate that that question, Melody. Um, next question coming from Katie. Any advice for someone considering running her first full marathon? I've run eight marathons and I want to complete a full. I'm thinking grandma's marathon next June. I'm turning 40 this year and kids will be in school. Super nervous, but it is a goal I want to accomplish. So, uh, my, my first bit of it, I got lots of advice, Katie, and I'm going to try not to give you all of it, try not to make this a drink from the fire hose type of situation, especially when it's still a considering question. Um, but my first bit of advice for anybody who's like, I'm kind of sort of thinking about it, you kind of answered it, but I'm going to still throw it out there for anybody else, is that it's something that you you want to do. We joke sometimes, and, and there's obviously there's some truth to the joke. But, you know, how, how running is such a peer pressure thing and how, you know, you, you started out with a, with a friend and it was just going to be something that you did a couple times a week and then pretty soon you're running more than that and then you're signing up for the first race and this and that and the other. And I don't, I don't mean to diminish that as a bad thing because I think that, that the peer pressure of running is a really good thing in general. Um, but there are times when it's like the, the running partner is like, hey, Let's let's do this forty-five mile race in uh, in in the green swamp in November, and then I'm like, no, Kate, that sounds ridiculous. And then more or less, I get talked into doing a forty-five miler this November in in the green swamp. Um, wait a minute, no, I, I, let me let me take that. Where one friend is like, hey, let's do a marathon, and then the other one is like, I don't really want to, but we do a lot of races together, and I feel like I have to. You don't want to feel like you have to when it comes to preparing for your first marathon. Right, like that's that's not a good situation. Doesn't sound like that's your situation, Katie. If you if you really want to do a marathon, that's that's step one. You have to want to do it. Once you get to that point, and you're like, yes, I want to do it. When is the right time? That's when you need to. So I guess my second bit of advice, second thing to consider, is taking a realistic look at what the four five months leading up to the race are going to look like in terms of being able to train. Because when, and, and I was guilty of this, and I know a lot of folks have been as well, where the first time marathon, you don't realize what the training load looks like going into it, especially those long runs. Like you, you kind of can, can sort of conceptualize it, 
But if you're used to, you know, training for your, your eight half marathons, if you're used to your normal long run being, you know, I don't know exactly what it would be, but an hour and a half, two hours, something like that, two and a half hours, maybe, um, that's, that's fine. Obviously there's obviously nothing wrong with that, but if, if your life is such and busy and like you said, you have a couple kids. So, you know, like if that fits into their life, well, but what if not, what if, what happens when that two, two and a half hour long run is kind of a short long run? You know, that's, that's a cutback week. That's a, that's a, oh yeah, oh, I'm, I'm only doing 12 or 14 miles this weekend because it's a cutback or whatever. Like, is your life set up? Is your, your weekend calendar typically going to allow for you to do a three, three and a half, sometimes maybe even four hour long run on some of those? Obviously depending on your pace, but, but just something that you got to think about. Uh, you know, all of a sudden those long runs that, that, you know, 15 miles, 16 miles, 18 miles, 20 miles, maybe even going longer than that, depending on what, what your plan is going to look like. Um, just being aware of kind of what the, the time commitment is going to be involved to be well-trained. Now, obviously there's some flexibility in there. There's some things that you can do to mix and match and, and maybe split some long runs or, um, do some back-to-back things that still work and it'll still get you to the finish line of your first marathon. So that it doesn't have to be that time intensive, but it's still, you still got to get a certain amount of miles, right? You still got to get plenty of time on your feet. So, uh, those are the two things that I would say to, to really think about before you sign up. And I know a lot, a few people reply, just, just do it, just sign up. And like, part of me wants to say that, but realistically you have to want to do it and you have to be, you know, able to look at your, your life situation, like I said, for four or five months leading up to the race and go, yeah, I can be consistent with my training through here. Um, you know, no major trips, birthdays, anniversaries, like, like one thing that I go back to, I, I've worked with some folks in the past that were accountants, right? And so for a race, that's maybe a May marathon, being a CPA is not exactly ideal because you got all that crazy tax season stuff leading up to, uh, almost lead up to the taper depending on when the race is. And it makes it real tough to make sure you get enough training in for that late April, early May race. So just an example, but something to think about looking at life, looking at work, looking at obligations, you know, for grandmas in June next year, what does February, March, April, May look like for you? If those, if you, if you don't have things that you know are going to be like, Oh, it's going to be tough. And especially in, in late April and May, when those long ones are really getting after it, um, then, then, you know, if it's something you want to do, then, then yeah, and, and you can make it fit in your life, then go for it. Um, and grandma's is a, is a big one, you know? So that would be a fun one to do as your first one. That's for sure. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that helps or doesn't. Um, but, but you know, if you're, if you want to do it and it's going to fit your life, then, then yeah, then go for it. Go for it. Uh, looking forward to hearing, hearing how that shakes out. And, and, uh, obviously, uh, you know, if you decide to do it, kind of how the training goes and all that kind of good stuff. But thanks for the question, Katie. Really, really do appreciate it. Uh, next question from Jamie. How often should you take nutrition on your run? If you choose to, of course. Uh, I think some of the gels say every 20 minutes starting at the beginning because the body will divert the blood from the stomach, making it harder to digest. So Jamie, this is this is a, a great question. And, and the first of many that are very much nuanced slash uh, unique to each person today. So I, I say all that to say this, I'm not trying to skirt your question and not answer it, but I kind of have to give you a not a non-answer because it, it's, it's, it depends. 
some people, I suppose, maybe every 20, 30 minutes is probably like I personally, I feel like that's that's way overkill. Um, I think sometimes those those marketing on the, the instructions on the uh, on the label might be to help them sell more product. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm being skeptical. I don't, I don't know. You, your mileage may vary, um, but that's a bit much. So let's let's look at let's look at some some biology first, and maybe you can use that to help you figure out when to start fueling, how often to fuel. Um, if like you said, if that's something you choose to do, because I don't I don't fuel for anything short of race day, really. Um, I, I mean, I have water, I have some salt in my water, uh, but that's pretty much all I'll drink for, you know, 15, 18, 20, 20 plus miles. Um, and I'm good. And that's, that's the whole part of, you know, again, I'm not trying to get on the whole fat adapted thing, but that's one of those benefits of fat adaption is I don't have to worry about fueling, especially for an easy run, just a long run. No, no factor. Um, but when it comes to biology, if you're, if you're a mostly not, I guess if you're not so much fat adapted, if you're, if your body is really relying mostly on, on glucose stored body, you know, blood sugar or, or sugars in your body to fuel itself, the loose rule of thumb for whatever it's worth. Again, there's going to be some variability from one, one athlete to the next, but the loose rule of thumb is that you can go at a pretty solid effort. So uh, certainly marathon pace, but maybe even half marathon, maybe even a little bit faster than that. Um, for 90 to 120 minutes. So for an hour and a half to two hours, you've got enough stored in your muscles, stored in your, in your liver that you're going to be good. So, so right there, I would argue that there's not really much of a benefit to take any nutrition for runs that are shorter than that. So if you're a, if you're a two hour half marathoner, um, I don't, I don't see much reason to take any nutrition. Maybe get a, a, you know, a Gatorade at mile you know, nine or something like that. Sure, that's fine. But to actually like to, to do a gel or uh, any type of, of fuel, I don't think it's it's really necessary. Again, your mileage may vary, something to test out. Um, but even in my carb days, I didn't fuel during a half marathon. As far as, again, anything more than like a sports drink. Um, because you just physiologically don't really need to. Um, once you start getting beyond that though, of course, that's when you do. And, and if you're going to go beyond that type of time frame, you don't want to run to zero. You don't want your, your, your fuel tank to hit empty before you start fueling. So you definitely want to start before you need to, because like you said in your question there, there, Jamie, it does take a little while to digest because even, even a gel, even, even something like, you know, some of these, these formulated running fuels, like there's still the, 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 the digestion process is still a process. So it does take, you know, sometimes some of them are a little quicker. Some take, you know, half an hour, whatever. Um, and again, that's another rule of thumb about 20 to 30 minutes for the, the, the fuel sources to be diverted, to be digested and then diverted, sent out to your body. So again, if we go back to rules of thumb here, it takes about 90 to 120 minutes to run to, to really be running danger low on, on your, on your fuel. Well, then maybe in that, hour to hour and a half window is when you might want to start fueling so that the fuel is ready for you 20 to 30 minutes later, which is when you're starting to get into that window. Um, and then depending on how much fuel you're taking, you may need to, to re up, take a little bit more somewhere every 30 to 60 minutes because you, you can only, um, process so much 
fuel while running at the same time, because it's, it's a, it is a, it is, again, it's a process. It's an energy intensive process. And so if you put in more than your stomach can handle while you're running that fast, it's not going to digest it. And that's where you get some real stomach distress, GI upset, things like that. And, and this is where it gets, it gets like a slippery, slippery slope because you might be the, that first gel might go down just fine. And then, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, you're taking the, the next second gel. It goes down just fine. Same for the third one, you know, if we're talking about a marathon or, or longer. But maybe you get to that fourth round. So now you've been going for three hours. You've got your already three gels deep. And you go to take that fourth one and, you're, and your stomach's just like, no, we can't handle this. And now you're throwing up on the side of the road or the side of the trail because you put too much in for your body to be able to handle. So... And so, and when that happens, your body's like, we got to get rid of this mess. We can't deal with all this right now while we're trying to still run. And then obviously that can really have some problems with your race. So all that to say, you've got some loose rules of thumb, but you got to, you got to test it out. You got to try some different things, um, and see how your body responds, see how often you really need it. Just because the label says, take it every 20 minutes. Maybe you're a more efficient at use, utilizing body fat, even though you're not quote unquote, specifically trying to be fat adapted, but your, your body's more efficient at utilizing body fat. So you only need it every 45 minutes. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe, maybe not. Um, but those are things to test out. Um, you know, testing out different types of fuel sources. Like I, I, you know, as I've said before, I'll say it again. Um, I'm a tailwind guy on race day. That's the only time I'm using really external fuel sources, but on race day, I like a little tailwind starting at about mile 15, just kind of sipping on it, fill up one of my bottles with it and, and sip along as we go. Um, and, and that works well for me, but maybe liquid calories a little bit easier to digest. Sometimes maybe that's something you want to play with different types of, of product, different types of source, um, all things to play with. But, but, um, as far as how often should you take it? I mean, it, it, it depends on how often you need to, I guess, I guess maybe that's the simple answer. Um, the, the least frequent that you need is the right mix because the more, if you, if you go more than that, you may not have any problems, but you may have some GI issues that result because of it. So, um, you got to play with it. Definitely play with it in training, play with it on race day until you kind of find that right mix for you. And, and it sucks when it's a trial and error type of thing, but what works for me may or may not work for you. What works for the next person, the next person. Um, and that's why you just got to, you know, kind of have some, some rules of thumb to, to start with and then kind of tweak and adjust and play with it from there. So hope all that makes sense, Jamie, and, and good luck with the experimentation because experimenting with fuel, with nutrition can be messy, if you know what I mean, uh, but it's a necessary part of the process. And, and hopefully it won't take too long to really kind of dial in maybe with what you've been doing so far and dial it in a little bit more, optimize it a little bit more uh, when gearing up for your next race. But thank you for the question, milady, and I uh, hope you're having a great end of June, end of the first half of the year. Uh, next question from Chantel. After running my first marathon, I'm going to take some time off running to enjoy some other fitness activities like rowing, hiking, spinning, etc. How long should I plan to, to spend building up my base again before I start to train for my next half marathon? So great, great question, Chantel. And, and something that um, kudos to you, if I'm reading your question correctly and understand it correctly, that you're having the foresight of thinking about this, that you haven't run that marathon yet, but you're going to. And when you do, you're planning to take some time off. Um, and, and, and I, I applaud that because I, I certainly wouldn't have had the, the wherewithal to think about that and to kind of wrap my head around it beforehand. So, so again, hat, hat tip, uh, to you for just having that type of awareness and, and something that, uh, I think that, that won't take as long 
as you might think. So, it, again, some variables here and, and some uniqueness to the situation. It's, it depends on how much time you take off. You know, you, you say you're going to take some time off. Well, is some time two weeks? Is it a month? Is it two months? Is it six months? Like, obviously, the longer that you take off from running, the the more that you're going to have to, the more time you're going to have to spend rebuilding your base and rebuilding some of that running fitness before you start training for the next half marathon, whatever that might be. Um, that said, and the fact that you're going to do some other fitness activities that cuts down on the time frame potentially quite a bit. Um, so here are some things to think about training up for your marathon. Obviously you're going to have a pretty solid level of fitness right there. You run the marathon, uh, you're taking some time off to recover, to do some other things. That's awesome. By doing some other things, you're going to hold on to a lot of that fitness. Now, it may not be quite to the same level, and we're talking general fitness, not running fitness. You're going to hold on to a lot of that general fitness by just being active, by doing some rowing, some hiking, some spinning, maybe some strength training, some yoga. Like, I'm reading into things, but just doing other things, you're going to hold on to a lot of that fitness, all right? The thing that you're going to lose, especially if you're doing mostly spinning and rowing, some more non-impact things, will be some of the, the, the strength and the resiliency in your bones and your tendons, all right, because running obviously pretty impactful sport, uh, and so your your bone density, your bone strength, your joint joint health, um, those things, you know, not running is not going to negatively necessarily impact them. But if you try to jump right back into running, that's where some of the soreness, achiness problems are potentially to to lie, because your overall fitness be be holding steady post marathon. The running fitness is going to see a dip because just because you're not running for a while again. It depends on how long. If it's just a couple weeks, no factor. If it's a couple months, not much of a factor. If it's six months, you'll you'll lose a, a decent little bit. And that's, and that's not to try to, to to dissuade you from taking a break. Just speaking facts. Um, so you know, it, ultimately, when you start running again, like it, it, I don't know, how, I don't know how to answer your question. How long do you need to plan to spend building up your base? Might be a month or two, might be three or four months, might be just a couple few weeks if you only are taking maybe a couple weeks to a month off um, of running, but just trust your body. Trust your body. Start slow. Maybe start with a run walk or just some real short runs that that normally wouldn't really register for you as, as, as much of anything. You know, leading up to a marathon, like a, a, a casual one to two miles, like, yeah, okay, like no big, like I, I'm running, you know, multiple miles, multiple days a week, one or two miles, no big deal. Well, run that one or two miles and then see how your body feels. How does it respond? Knees a little bit sore, calves a little bit sore. Um, I wouldn't be concerned. Just recognize that, oh yeah, there's some of my running fitness, my running resilience that, that dropped a little bit when I haven't been running for a while. Give it a couple of days and do it again. And as as you start to notice that some of those little aches and pains are, are going away, then you start to, to increase either the, the distance of those runs or the frequency of those runs slowly, gradually, but building yourself back up. Um but honestly, I mean, like, like I don't think it'll be a long, a long process. Again, with the caveat, it depends how long you're out. Um, but just trust your body. Trust what your body's telling you. Trust how you're feeling after some of those those first runs back. And again, whether it's it's just short runs or whether it's it's run walk, it's all the same. Is as far as just listening to how your body's feeling, how it's responding to getting back into the the the, the pounding of running that you're not going to have as much of. Hiking, you know, is, is one of the options that you listed there. Love that. Obviously, it's not quite as impactful as running. But you're still, it's still as, it's as close to the running motion as you're going to get of a lot of other cross-training type activities, which is going to help you to maintain 
that running fitness even more. So, you know, but the moral of the, the moral of the story, have fun after the first marathon, enjoy the first marathon. And then afterwards, enjoy some other things. And when you're ready to come back to running, that's when you come back to running. And then your time frame, you'll have a better idea. Once you start getting back into it, how long it's going to take to really get into the groove, your body feeling, feeling good again with running. Um, but I don't think it'll take long. I don't think it'll take long at all. Um, again, long being relative, but you know, it's not going to more than likely, it's not going to be months and months and months. It might be a month. It might be a little bit longer than that. Um, but to be ready to start training for a half marathon probably won't be that long. Probably not. Um, potentially at least, but great question, Chantel, and, and good luck with your first marathon, assuming that you haven't run it yet. Uh, next question from Brooke. Why won't you run an obstacle course race? They're fun. If you do them with a group. Yeah. Well, you know, um, just because you say it's fun doesn't mean that I say it's fun, Brooke. Uh, here we go. And I think I've said this once or twice, but, but you know, I'll say it again. Uh, I'll answer it again. My, my issues with the obstacle course race situation, my biggest issue, at least I've got a couple other issues. My, my biggest issue with the OCRs are that you can't control the weather, right? Um, if I could do, if, if they had a, an, a, an obstacle course race situation and could guarantee me that it's going to be, you know, temperatures in the, the high seventies, low eighties, um, just what I would class as pretty, pretty ideal conditions, especially when I consider that I'm probably going to be, you know, crawling through some mud or going in some water someplace along the way. Like that sounds about right. Cause yeah, it's going to be cold, but it's gonna be a little bit refreshing. I'll come out, I'll dry off, you know, whatever it'll be. It'll be great. My luck is that I'm going to sign up for one of these, these obstacle course races and it's going to be like 42 degrees and, and, and not raining. It's just going to be 42 degrees. And then you're going to ask me to go crawl through the mud. You're going to ask me to go splashing, you know, into, into a bunch of water. You're out of your damn mind. It ain't happening. And so, because you can't guarantee the weather, I can pretty well guarantee that there's no obstacle course races in my future anytime soon. Um, notice I didn't say never just anytime soon. Uh, so, so that's, that's the big thing. And then the other thing, and, and this, like, I don't know, like, like, I don't want, like, this sounds, sounds so wimpy. Uh, I don't want to get hurt, you know? Like, I mean, I, obviously I can get hurt running and, and things like that, but like, man, I'm, you know, I'm at a point where like, I'm in a, I'm in a good, I'm in a good, good, good groove. And like, I don't need to like slip on some mud and, and pull something or fall and break something like I don't know. Like I probably wouldn't. And it's probably not something I would really like, I'll go bombing down a trail and not worry about it, which maybe there's more likely of catching a a rock or a root and and having problems there. Um, but like, I feel more, I feel more comfortable doing that than I do, you know, doing the monkey bars into burpees, into mud pits, into like, no, 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 no. Um, weak, weak sauce excuses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Carrie, you hold your tongue. I don't need to hear from you about this. So it wasn't your question. It's, it's a weak sauce excuse. I get it. But Brooke, that's, that's why, that's why I'm not doing an obstacle course race right now. Um, in the right situation, you know, I don't know, may, maybe, but no, thanks. No, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm good with, with running and just running. I'm good with that for right now. Uh, but thanks for the question lady. Uh, next one from Rhett, uh, 
nice, nice little life question here, or at least, you know, blending and running in life. Uh, I have two little kids. So fitting in running is a quote unquote, whenever possible situation. Recently, that has meant running at night just before bed on the treadmill. Is there anything that should be done differently if the plan is to run, shower, and then go to bed as quickly as possible post run? Um, you know, Rhett, I, 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 like my first response is like, man, you just got to do what you got to do. And that sounds like exactly what you're doing. So kudos, you know, like if that's, if that's the time that's available, then that's the time that's available for a whole host of reasons. You could make an argument that it's not optimal, but I don't think you're trying to make the optimal that it is. You're not trying to make the argument that it is optimal. It's just what you have to do right now. Um, so with, with that, with that said, you know, I mean, I, I think the big things are, Getting your runs in, yes, but making sure that you're also getting as, as high quality and as much sleep as possible. Because I would assume, with only having a, a, at any point one little kid, uh, I remember how sleep was never a, a guarantee. So with two little kids, I can feel like it's probably more more so or less so of a guarantee. Whatever I'm trying to say there, the, the, the odds of having multiple good nights of sleep in a row are even more sketchy. So you know, you, 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 you what you don't want is for your run to be making it harder for you to fall asleep, right? And and able to get good quality sleep. And so, and, and all of the sleep researchers, all the sleep gurus are like, yeah, try not to do exercise right before bed. Well, yeah, in a perfect world, I'm, I'm assuming from your question that in a perfect world, you probably wouldn't be sleep, be running right before bed. This isn't a perfect world. So you're doing what you got to do. Um, so I think then the key is to, to try to transition from the run to the bed as smoothly as possible. So what does that look like? I would say trying to really ex- maybe extend out your warm up or your, your cool down just a little bit. So if you're, if you're planning to run, you know, for whatever, four miles, five miles, whatever you get your miles done on the treadmill, then like try to try to walk for, you don't need to be a long time, but for an extra, take an extra three or four minutes, five minutes, something like that to just walk at a, at a nice, like not a power walk, just something nice and easy to, to help bring that heart rate down a little bit more, bring it down gradually and maybe even slow that walk down as you go, you know, start at a, at a, whatever, at a 3.5. And then after a minute, go to a 3.2. Then after a minute, go to a three and then a 2.8 and then finish at whatever, 2.7, whatever, somewhere in there. Uh, but just kind of slow yourself down a little bit. Maybe, maybe take a couple breaths, do a little bit of breathing, breath work, meditation, something like that to cool to like cut and just calm the system a little bit more. Get that shower in, like not a not a steaming hot shower, but like a nice warm shower can also help, uh, as counterintuitive as it is, to help bring your body temperature back down a little bit. Because that's that's the thing that can keep you awake is if you're having a warm body temperature, your body doesn't doesn't get as, as good quality sleep, or it takes longer to get quality sleep till your temperature goes down a little bit. So cooling yourself, good cool down, a little bit of meditation maybe, or, or some type of breathing exercises may or may not work for you. Might be worth a shot. Uh, a warm shower to help kind of cool things down a little bit. Um, and then, and then get, get into bed, you know, like I get it. Time is at a premium. Um, so you gotta do what you gotta do, but ultimately like that's, that's what I would be focusing on is like how, how quality is your sleep right now and trying to optimize things. Maybe, maybe if possible or if necessary, maybe it's the better way of saying it, cut your run just a little bit shorter. So you have a, like, so, you know, work backwards, right? So the, the, the time to get to bed, you're trying to get to bed by 10 o'clock, making up numbers, but say 10 o'clock. And so the plan used to be, all right, well, I can usually start running by nine. So I can run for 45 minutes, get my shower, get in bed at 10 o'clock. Well, maybe, maybe the better option is to run for 30 minutes and then try to 
Chilford, or maybe then jump in the shower, but then have 10 or 15 minutes to unwind, read a book, listen to a little music, maybe do your meditation, like whatever, to just kind of still be in bed at 10, but have a little bit more gap in there. And yeah, that, that can be a bummer that you're cutting out some running time, but if that helps you get better sleep, then maybe it's a trade-off worth making. I would argue probably is, but that you got to make that decision for yourself. Um, but ultimately just, you know, kudos, applause, hat tip, doing what you got to do to make it work in your life right now. That's the name of the game. And if, if you're not feeling too run down, you're not feeling too tired, things like that. You feel like you're getting halfway decent sleep. Then maybe, maybe the mix you have right now is the right mix, but if you can optimize it a little bit, make it a little bit smoother, get a little bit more bang for your buck in your, in your time, uh, sleeping. Hey, I would play with it. I would play with it. Um, but thank you for the question, my friend. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll get, I don't want to say get better because it insinuates that it's not good, but hopefully, um, you'll be able to continue to optimize sleep, get your miles in and maybe find a way to, to squeeze those runs in at a, at a more conducive time of the day, assuming that this isn't your ideal situation right now. Uh, but thank you for the question, sir. Uh, next question from Fargo Lesterberg asks, how do you train for a flat 24 hour race and a hilly technical 100 K. Um, on the surface, John, you don't need me to tell you that those sound like polar, almost polar opposites when it comes to ultra races, right? A flat 24 hour race, a hilly technical hundred K race. But I'm going to tell you that training for those two races, not dramatically difficult and probably not, not as complicated as it might at first seem. Um, you know, time on feet is, is, maybe not the only thing that matters when you train it for an ultra, especially these longer ultras, 24 hour races, hundred K 60 mile races. Um, but time on feet, is a big factor, big factor, whether you're doing flat or whether you're doing hilly, you know, whether you're doing aiming for a hundred miles in 24 hours or whatever your goal is for that, or 62 miles, um, time on feet's a factor, a major factor. So as long as you're getting good time on feet, getting some good miles in, that's, that's the first piece. Then the second piece that I would look at is, is which of the races require a more specified training regimen? And I think in, in with these two examples, you, training for a flat 24 hour race, like other than the, the, just the sheer amount of time on feet and, and running when you're tired, things like that, that, that other than that, like there's not, not a lot of specificity of training for a relatively fat 24 hour race flat. Did I say fat? I don't know relatively flat 24 hour race, but a hilly technical race. That's the one where if you have the opportunity to get on some technical trails, even if the, the, the elevation profile isn't anywhere close to what it'll be like for your race, but to get some time on the trails, get some time go, doing some ups, power hiking up, running a little bit down, things like that. That's going to help you more for that hilly race. And Oh, by the way, doing some of that hill work time on feet, it's going to help you for the flat 24 hour race as well. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to worry about being too specific for each of the different types of races. Um, they're a lot more similar than they are different. Get the time on the feet, get the good miles in. And when you're able to get on the, some trails, at least for a few times, hopefully for a couple longer runs, get on the trails, work, work on climbing, work on descending, work on being comfortable on some technical terrain, uh, or at least as technical as you can, as you have access to, um, cause doing that's going to prepare you for the, the, the hundred K. And oh, by the way, the 24 hour race, like uh, that's not like the challenge there is just going, but you'll be fine with that. So I hope all that makes sense. I would prioritize or try to specify and, and the other, oh, oh, by the way, 
The other thing that matters is when, which race is first, wh- what's the gap between them. Like, like, you know, if, if I'm assuming from your question that they're relatively close together in time frame, Um, and if that's the case, it doesn't matter which one's first train, train, do the technical work, do the hill work. But if you get a big gap in between, then that maybe changes things completely. But I think that from your question that that's probably not the case. So hope all that makes sense. Obviously other questions, let me know. Um, speaking of other questions from Lesterberg, how do you not choke on donuts while you run? This is an easy one. It's an easy one. You got to choose the right donuts. See, that's not the answer you thought I was going to give you. I know it's not, but that is the answer. You got to, you got to choose the right donuts, the right donuts to not choke on while you're running hands down French cruller. Why? Because the French cruller is some weird mystery science experiment of, of donut. That's really not donut. It's really just this like beautiful crystalline sugar and fat glazed thing that basically dissolves as soon as, as soon as it touches your mouth. Right. So you, you take a bite of that cruller and it's just like immediately just like hard to choke on that. You take a cake donut, something like that, that there's, that there's some substance there, especially you're, you know, you're 40 miles deep into your hundred K or 20 hours deep into your 24 hour race. Like, Mouth's a little bit dry. Chewing is not exactly a thing that you want to do too much of. Well, yeah, now you're going to choke on that that cake donut. The cruller, it dissolves into beautifulness. Down the hatch, no choking hazard at all. And don't even get me started on donuts that have donuts, quote unquote. Donuts that have cream or jelly. Just avoid those like the plague because they're trash. All right? Cake donuts are good in the right situation, not while you're running. Stick to the cruller's. A Krispy Kreme is is like the poor man's wannabe cruller, so you could have a Krispy Kreme as well. Um, but if crullers are available, I'll give you a no choke guarantee on uh, on having a cruller during a run. So there you go. Not not the answer you thought. That's why they pay me the big bucks or something like that. Thanks for the questions, John. Uh, next one from Rick, uh, also in the upper Midwest, the, the land of 10,000 lakes. How many ultras do you have to run to say you've run quote unquote ultras? Can you consider yourself an ultra runner if you haven't run a 50 miler, hundred K hundred miler? Uh, you know, I, like, like Rick, to me, this is one of those questions that like, not the question so much, but the sentiment, right? Like, am I, a, am I really an ultra runner if I've only quote unquote done one fifty K? Well, hell yeah, you are. You know, just like, just like the whole question, you know, dialing it back a little bit, but like, I don't know if I'm really a runner yet because all I've done is a couple of half marathons and some 10 Ks. Well, you're a runner, you run, you're a runner. I think ultimately this is one of those questions that like, you just like, you have to, to decide if you can call yourself like, like it's not, it's not like, I can tell you like, yeah, dummy. Like, of course you're an ultra runner. You run a 50 K you're an ultra runner theoretically, and I, mean, I wouldn't even split hair. You run a race that's 29 miles. It's not even quite technically a 50 K like that's still an ultra to me. You're still an ultra runner. Now I would, I would maybe say that if you run a, a, a marathon where you don't run the tangents very well and you end up at 26.7, like, I guess technically you're an ultra, like, eh, like you just ran a marathon, but if it's, if it's, but I, I digress that that would be my definition right? That would be, I wouldn't have called myself an ultra runner at that point. If you want to, Hey, you do you like, it's all good. Um, but, but all that to say, you know, there's, there's, there's no reason to set some arbitrary, like I'm not an ultra runner until I've run X number of, of ultras or, 
you know, 50 K that's, that's too close to a, a marathon to count as an, like, no, if you run an ultra, you're an ultra runner. When you, when you decide to say that you're an ultra runner, I guess that's up to you, but I would say, man, if you've done one, it's good enough for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, don't, don't overthink it. If you've done an ultra, you're an ultra runner. As far as I'm concerned, that's, that's it. Just like if you run, you're a runner, right? And if, and then if you want to split hairs after that, that's on you. Uh, but thank you for the question, sir. Hope the, uh, the recovery is going well. Brooke chiming in with her second question this month. How much protein do you suggest for someone who is trying to build muscle that trains at my mileage as well as doing some strength training? So, um, Brooke, this is, this is a great question because I think it's, I think this whole protein situation is something that, that we really, I don't want to say, maybe blow out of proportion, lose sight of what, what actually matters. And, and also you know, there's, there's a factor here that there's a little bit of, of, I'm not quite sure what you're asking in the question. And I'll explain that of course, but, um, you know, when you, when you question how much protein do you need for someone who is trying to build muscle? Um, that's that to me, my first instinct when I see that is that by building muscle, you mean adding more muscle mass, adding more, more bulk. I don't know that that's what you mean, but that's like my first inclination, but that's where the vag, the vaggity vaggity. That's where the confusion that I have comes in. Are you, are you talking about building more actual muscle tissue, more muscle mass, or are you talking about just getting stronger, maybe getting more tone, things like that? Not that one is different from the other. And ultimately when it comes to the protein, not that it matters much one or the other, but what your dietary needs are do influence that. Because if you're trying to add more muscle mass, if you're trying to get more muscle tissue on your body, you got to just take in additional calories because your body needs more calories to build the muscle. doesn't necessarily matter if it's proteins, fats, carbs. I mean, if you want to really break it down, maybe, but like in general, like you just kind of need more calories. Um, but you also need the right hormone situation, uh, because testosterone is like the big muscle building muscle creating hormone. And yes, ladies, you produce testosterone, but not the massive quantities that are going to really lead to a lot of muscle bulk going on, you know, adding a lot of muscle tissue to your frame. So it doesn't like, I guess what I'm trying to say there is if you're trying to, to add a lot of muscle tissue, which I don't think is your question, Brooke, but just to further explain it, you can eat all the protein you want. You can eat all the, you can eat hundred percent protein, which I don't think you would, but I mean, it doesn't matter if you don't have the, the, enough testosterone, if you don't have ample testosterone, you're going to have really struggle to put on a lot of muscle mass, right? That's why, that's why young guys can just pack on muscle like crazy. Cause we're freaking testosterone machines, right? Obviously there's a little bit more to it, but, but that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle. Now, if you're trying to get stronger, you're trying to stay healthy, maybe tone up a little bit, things like that. Again, maybe not again, but the, 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 the science to it or the, the, how it actually happens isn't as simple as, well, just have X amount of protein and everything's good. That's more so. And again, and this is maybe not again, but I keep saying that that's my new, that's my new fallback. I think, right. Is, and, and again, um, but what really matters in that situation is less about macro percentages and more about consistency of training. So are you being consistent with your strength training? Or are you hit and miss? You have a pretty good routine of hitting the right, you know, the major muscle groups, being in the gym or, you know, doing stuff at home or whatever it is, you know, three, four, five times a week versus once every three weeks. You know, if, if you're, if you're being consistent with your strength training, just like you're being consistent with your running, like you're going to see progress. 
And then once you start seeing some progress, then maybe you want to dial in. Maybe you need, maybe you do want a little bit more protein, a little bit less protein, a little bit more fats, a little bit fewer carbs or, or vice versa. Like whatever kind of works for you and your body, because again, there's, that's all unique, you know, and, and I, I know sometimes I get on my, my horse about whether it's heart rate training, whether it's, um, you know, low carb, high fat, um, whatever it is. And I, I kind of make it seem like it's universal across the board. And that's, and, and like, I know that that's not the case, but sometimes that's just how it, that's, I know that's how I communicate it. Um, but there's a lot of nuance here, right? A lot of what works best for you. I would say again, paint with a broad brush. I said again, again, that's going to be the new drinking game, I think. Um, but painting with a broad brush, uh, most Americans, most people in the, in Western society. So probably if you're able to listen to this, we don't struggle with, with not enough protein, no matter what the protein supplement companies and the, the, the dietary stuff, like for the most part, if you're eating fairly well balanced, um, and it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, plant-based or not. Uh, but, but if you're eating like you can get plenty of protein without struggling too much. Um, some people, maybe even most, maybe are borderline more pro much more protein than they need. Um, says the guy who sometimes takes a protein shake and you know, things like that. So uh, maybe I'm there. Um, but all that to say, I wouldn't worry about the right amount of protein or trying to up your protein, be consistent in the gym first or whatever your strength training you're doing first. Um, listen to your body, how you're feeling, keep running, keep doing, you know, kind of all around fitness stuff. Um, and you'll get stronger, you'll get stronger. Uh, and then if you, if you want to try to optimize from there, then you can optimize from there, but start with the easy stuff, just being consistent, listening to your body, getting into a good routine. Um, and that might be, that will almost certainly be more productive than trying to jump right to, well, should I have, you know, 0.8 grams per uh, kilogram of body weight. Should I have 0.6? Should I have 0.9? Like that's, that's, that's in my opinion for whatever it's worth more than you need to worry about right now. So, uh, hope all that made sense, Brooke, and hope I didn't miss the boat completely on what your goals are or, or what you're trying to do with, with building muscle, uh, whether it's getting stronger, packing on, on more mass either way. Um, it just starts with doing the work and then, you know, maybe the protein comes, becomes a, more of a factor later. Uh, so hope all that made sense, Brooke. Thank you for the question. I uh, got a couple from Alan. First one, what do you typically listen to on your runs? Podcasts, music, nothing, anything new or particularly great that you've come into contact recently. So, um, typically Monday through Friday runs, I'm almost exclusively podcasts. Uh, I kind of have like, you know, as, as you might guess from some of the talks I've had about routine and structure and predictability and just being boring in my life. Um, I mean, I have like my Monday prod podcast is the same every Monday. My Tuesday podcast I listen to is the same just about every Tuesday. Um, Wednesday, we get a little bit crazier. You know, sometimes there's some variation there. Uh, and then the rest of the week, sometimes there's a little bit more variation as well. But for the most part, like, yeah, I listen to like the same podcast on the runs because, because they've got to be long enough to get me through a run. And I listen to podcasts on 2x speed. Um, so I either need to have two or three episodes built up so that I can get through an hour of running before the podcast runs out or before this, the, you know, the episodes run out. Um, or it's gotta be one episode. That's typically going to be two plus hours long. So I can get through that. Um, and that's what I have, you know, on Mondays, I listen to the drunk X passers on Tuesdays I listen to the drive from Peter Atia. Uh, and then after that kind of depends on what episodes been released. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I don't know if there's anything new, but I, I like drunk X pastors a lot. Like that's the one I look forward to the most. Uh, I guess I've started listening to, to the Peter Atia podcast more recently. Uh, 
tend to really enjoy those episodes, learn a lot um, as far as just just health in general. It's kind of a health show. Um, but yeah, on Saturdays, I listen to Kate, uh, who I run with and who talks most of the time. Love you, Kate. Um, if I'm running solo on Saturdays, I listen to podcasts for a while and usually turn to music uh, towards the end if I feel like I need a little boost. Um, but yeah, mostly, mostly podcasts, mostly conversation, um, whether it's podcasts or whether it's Kate talking to me or, or talking at me. Uh, that's what I listen to most of the time. Um, works for me. I enjoy it. Um, so yeah, great question. Next one from Alan. Also, uh, I read somewhere that you should sleep an extra minute per day per mile that you run in a week. Say that 10 times fast. No, thank you. I will not take you up on that challenge. Uh, so for example, if you're running 30 miles a week and pre-training, you slept eight hours a day during training, you should be getting eight hours and 30 minutes of sleep. Is this bro science as it apply as applied to running or is there something to this? Um, yes, yes is my answer. Alan, I, I would say that this is a lot of bro science. Um, but I would say that as, as your mileage increases, it's not going to hurt you to sleep a little bit more. In fact, it's probably going to help you to sleep a little bit more. In fact, I would go so far as saying that most of us, again, kind of like, like Brooks, most of us question about protein. Most of us in the U S most of us in Western countries probably aren't getting as much sleep as we would, as would be maximally beneficial as, as maybe as maybe I can go so far as saying as we need. And I'm right there at the front of that group. Like, I like to think I do a pretty good job of getting enough sleep, but yeah, I could do better there. And so I guess where my answer then comes is that at least my, my first superficial answer is that, that if we're already not getting enough sleep beforehand, and then you're going to follow this, this probably bro science formula of, you know, for every mile per week, you need to sleep an extra minute per day. Um, like sure. But then you're still probably not getting enough sleep, right? Like, I mean, how many of us are, are getting that eight hours every night? Uh, so we're already getting, you know, maybe six and a half or seven, and now we're running 30 or 40 miles a week. So now we, now we should probably get in close to eight and a half or something like that. But, but we're going to add that to what we've been getting before we started running, which is only six and a half or seven. So like, you know what I, you see where I'm going with this? Like we're still at a sleep deficit. So the, the better thing would be to just try to get more sleep, better quality sleep. Um, but then the other thing that, that, that got me going when I was, thinking more about this question, Alan, and not, not that, not that the question got me going, but just kind of some of the science or the bro science behind it is that not every mile is created equal, right? Like if, if you're just running easy, cruising, low stress miles, like that probably doesn't, that probably doesn't necessitate the same amount of recovery, the same amount of good quality sleep as if you're out there hammering for two or three runs a week heaven forbid, if you're hammering every run during the week, then, then if I'm going to be bro science, then maybe you need to get three minutes of extra sleep per mile because you're hammering all the time. Right? So, so this is where it's kind of like, it, it feels bro sciencey slash one size fits all because it's assuming that every mile is created equal. And that's just not close to true as, as far as I'm concerned. So, so yeah, get more sleep. I mean, that's, that's what we all could probably benefit from. Um, no matter how many miles a week you're running, we could probably most of us benefit from getting more sleep. So, um, so yeah, I wouldn't read too much into it other than again, just more sleep tends to be a good thing. Uh, unless you're just waking up naturally every morning anyway, in which case that means you're getting enough sleep. So then you're good. You're good. Um, but thanks for the question, Alan. Uh, 
definitely sounds more bro science to me than anything else though. Uh, next question from Sherry, any familiarity with Morton, Mor- Mount, Mount, blah, blah. I don't know how to even say this fuel, which might clue you in on my answer. Mort- Morton, fu- M-A-U-R-T-E-N. Any familiarity with whatever that is fuel. I've switched to it from tailwind to avoid citric acid. Most fuels seem to contain it. Why is that? And if it's a valuable ingredient, why doesn't Morton contain it? Also, does Morton contain anything or everything a person needs for a long run, like over two hours? Or should you add anything, for example, a salt tablet? And if I mix it up properly, a drink mix to water ratio, so it forms the hydrogel when it hits your stomach, but drink plain water as well while I'm running. Does that mess up the whole hydrogel thing? Um, so as you, whoa, uh, it was a mouthful, Sherry, but thank you for the question. As you may have gleaned from my lack of even having any idea how to pronounce the name of the fuel, I'm probably not familiar with it. Uh, and I'm not, I've no, I've never heard of it before until this question. I, did, I looked at it a little bit briefly. I uh, looked at the website at least to try to be able to answer your question some. Um, so I'll, tr- I'll try, but maybe take this one with a grain of salt, which you might want to take with your Martin fuel anyway, since it doesn't seem to have much for salt slash electrolytes in it. So why, why does everything seem to have tailwind or I'm sorry, seem to have citric acid? It's just, it's, it's a flavor, flavor type of thing. Uh, I think is why it has, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really look into it, but I feel like, like I put citric acid, which is vitamin C into my water for a little bit of flavor. Um, so I would assume that that's probably something that goes with, with a lot of, of dried mixes, you know, whether it's tailwind or something else, like it just like, seems like that's probably a component to it. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, that's my assumption. Don't know. Is it valuable? I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it, for a lot of people, it doesn't hurt. If it does bother you, then, then, you know, whatever, then you, you don't need to have it in your drink. Um, but does, does Morton contain everything a person needs for a long run? I mean, I looked at the ingredients and like, I don't know that here's where I'll get, get biased about being fat adapted. I don't know that it has anything that anyone needs. It, correction. I don't know that it has anything that I need during a run. Right. Um, which again, this, this, and I say all that to say this, it just leads towards nutrition. Just like with Jamie's question is such a unique situation. Like, I don't think that if you're going super long and you're a saltier sweater, it doesn't look like it has enough electrolytes in it for me. Um, but maybe you do, maybe, or maybe it does for you because maybe you're not as salty of a sweater. Maybe you're not running in central Florida where it's hot as freaking blazes all the time. And you're just dumping out sweat during your runs. Uh, maybe you're running on the, in the Arctic circle where, you know, you're not sweating that much anyway. So you don't need to replace as much electrolytes, you know? Um, so, so, you know, I think that, I think even with tailwind, which I, I enjoy, but even with tailwind saying that like, Oh, it's all you need all day. Like, come on. Like that's a, that's a pretty blanket statement that, that it's probably not accurate for everybody. Um, and, and so I think that, that trying to say, well, well, does this stuff have everything you need all day? Well, no, nothing does. Even Tailwind, I don't think, has everything you need all day. Um, and I like it. And I predominantly just use Tailwind during an ultra. But still, nah, everything, come on. Um, does it have everything you need? Or should, I, should you add anything, for example, a salt tablet? I mean... Again, like if you're a saltier sweater or you have some, some electrolyte, you know, you kind of notice that if you, if you get a little low on salt, you're, you're really struggling. Like, I mean, I would, I would add salt to this if I was taking it or at least have salt tabs I'm taking separately or whatever. Um, if you mix it, mix it up properly, forms a hydrogel when it hits your stomach, but drink plain water, is that going to mess things up? Oh boy. Here's where, here's where I'm maybe going to be out of my depth. 
Um, but I think that whole hydrogel thing is a bunch of freaking nonsense. Okay. Um, I think, and this is just from skimming their website for just a few minutes. So maybe I'm probably I'm missing something, but the whole, Oh, if you mix it up and it hits your stomach acid and it turns to gel, a, I think that's just some marketing nonsense, but, but B, if there's something actually to it, the benefit to that is that you don't feel like something sloshing around in your stomach. Right. But here's the thing. And this is science. This is biology. Your body isn't going to absorb a gel. Your body absorbs all of your fuel, all of your nutrition, whether you're running or not. It has to break it down to a liquid to absorb it and, and, and take it in. So this fancy Morton that turns into a gel when it hits your stomach, well, guess what? Your body has to convert it back to a liquid before you can absorb it, before you can get the nutrition from it, before you can get the, the, the glucose and the salts and things like that. So I wouldn't worry about drinking water that's going to mess things up with the gel because the gel is messing up the, the absorption process anyway. So if anything, having a little bit of extra water as well might help because you're putting more liquids into your stomach to help turn the gel back into a liquid so that your body can take the nutrients from it. Okay. Um, but just like any fluid, tailwind, water, whatever, you don't want to drink too much water because then you get that sloshing around feeling, which is, I'm assuming what they're trying to avoid with the whole hydrogel, my words, quote unquote, nonsense. Um, so yeah, so so in case you can't tell, I like I'm not down on Morton. I've never tried it before, but I don't think that it has and I, and I didn't see any claims that they made. To be clear, I didn't see any claims that they made about it being all you need all day. All right? I don't think it is. And I don't see any reason to say that you can't or shouldn't drink water. Like and I I, I didn't see any claims on their website that says you shouldn't drink any water with in addition to whatever you mix with with a drink. Um but I don't, I didn't, I don't think that you need to worry about that. So if it works for you from a fueling perspective, that's awesome. Use it. You know, it, it's all good. But if you need a little bit of extra salt, take it. If you need a little extra water, drink it. It's not going to mess up the fuel. Okay. Uh, so don't worry about that. The main thing, how does it sit on your stomach? Cause just cause I'm like, eh, whatever about the hydrogel, if that feels better for you, if that works for you, Hey, lean into it, go with it. Add a little extra water, add a little extra salt if you need it, as you need it. That's, that's the, the, again, the name of the game. Does the fuel source give you the fuel that you need to get you through your runs, your trains, your training runs, your races? Everything else is details at that point. So I don't know. If that got a little ranty, I apologize. Uh, I, I didn't mean to be, certainly I'm not intending to slam the fuel source because I've never tried it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it tastes. I don't know nothing. But this whole hydrogel thing <laughs> seems a little nonsensical to me. Uh, when you understand how digestion and things like that work, not that I'm an expert, but I understand enough to be like, yeah, that that's not helpful, not helpful. Um, but it might, it, again, it might set better on your stomach, which that is helpful. So, you know, there, there might be something to it. Uh, but thanks for the question, Sherry. One more question from Alan. I think one more question from Alan. at least one more right now. Maybe there's another one coming up later. Uh, but what's the worst habit slash practice that you see runners regularly engaging in that is either really self-destructive or just generally harmful to the culture sport of running, uh, your chance to air out your pet peeves. Ooh, 
it's dangerous if I start ranting and raving on here. That gets me in more trouble than it's worth. And I, I got another question coming up that I'm going to be ranting. I think the next question be ranting and raving on a little bit as well. Um, but I, I think this is one I've talked about before, uh, but I still see it. So I guess it's worth talking about again. And it's the the idea of doing static stretching before a run as part of your quote unquote warm up. You know, and by static stretching, I mean like bending down to, to touch your toes and like holding it there. Or doing a quad stretch where you pull your, your foot back up behind you to feel that stretch down the front of your thigh and just holding it for 20, 30 seconds. Like that is not good for a pre-run, pre-workout, pre-race thing. Um, all that does is it actually kind of, without getting too detailed, it decreases the amount of power that your muscles are able to create, which translated means that you're probably going to have to work harder to run as fast or faster than you want to for your race. Um, better to do a, a dynamic warm up where you're moving. Maybe you're doing some leg swings, some jumping jacks, some squats, some lunges, some, some little bit of, of just running, like all those types of things are going to be better for you pre-run than stretching. Don't stretch, stretch after you run. Maybe I don't do it. Not because I don't think it's good, but because I just am terrible about that. Um, but stretching pre-run, oh, please don't, please don't not really self-destructive, but it's not helping any. And it is, it is a performance inhibitor a little bit. So don't do it. Don't do it. Um, thanks for the question, Alan. And, and if you want more on that, I think there's a quick tip somewhere. I don't know. Maybe it's linked in the show notes. Maybe not. Um, but, but yeah, I've talked about it before and I'll probably talk about it again, uh, because I still see it all the time. Next question from Lewis. This is the one that's going to get me in trouble. What do you think of the whole situation currently surrounding, uh, the, the, World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, uh, Shelby Houlihan, and Bowerman Track Club. Uh, if you have no idea what's going on here, and I don't know much because I really could care less. Um, but Shelby Houlihan is like a maybe an 800-meter runner. She's a, a track athlete, world-class, Team USA, or was had a good chance to be Team USA until she popped a positive test a couple weeks ago, um, and now she's got a four-year suspension for your ban from international competition from us competition, I think as well. Um, and I think it's well-deserved. I think it's well-deserved. Uh, and again, I, I don't know all the details. Here's, here's what I know, or here's where I stand. Um, she got, she popped up a positive test, right? Performance enhanced, some, some specific performance enhancer. Her claim was that she didn't take any drugs, which I don't necessarily believe because Bowerman Track Club, Salazar, like, yeah, like, let's not kid ourselves. They're not afraid to try to cut corners. She may have not knowingly taken any drugs. I'll give her that. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt there. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Salazar, Nike, Bowerman Track Club, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, here's this little thing. It's safe, whatever, like as far as like a cream or a this or a that. Um, and they're just willing to roll the dice that she's not going to get tested and be fine. Um wouldn't be shocked about that at all. So maybe she didn't knowingly do it, but her excuse was that she, she got a burrito from a food truck. That's like authentic Mexican food. Um, and there's something in the pork that could cause the positive test. Please. Maybe there is something to that, but here's the thing. If you're that level of an athlete, if you're that level of an athlete and Oh, by the way, the Olympics which are the biggest competition that you have only happens every four years. It's two months away. You're two weeks from the qualifying meet where you have the chance to represent team USA and go to the Olympics. And you know that 
eating an authentic pork burrito, which by the way, I don't believe that for a second, that, that that's what caused the, the positive test. But if you know that that could potentially, if, if you get tested within two hours of eating this burrito, there's a, there's a better than average chance that you might get a false positive. Why in God's name would you have, would you even take the chance? Would you roll the dice? Get the freaking carne asada. And I'm not here to say that the carne asada is necessarily better than the pork. Okay. Maybe the, maybe the pork is, is that good. If it is, and you're willing to risk your livelihood for the next four years, chance to make the Olympic team for that pork burrito, it better be a damn good burrito. So if you knew that that was a potential and you still were like, yeah, I'm just going to have that burrito and take the chance, then sorry about your luck. You're out for the next four years. Uh, I have zero sympathy for, uh, if you're that, like I've been around college athletes and they get talked about all the time about don't take anything that you don't know the, the ingredients for, uh, don't do this, don't do that. Only have these, these appropriate things. Um, because you don't want to take the risk of there being something in it, contaminated, whatever that could cause a, a positive test. Right? I used to, to talk regularly with somebody who did testing for WADA. Like he's one of the testers, and I don't remember all the details, but I feel like they take multiple samples. Maybe and maybe I'm mistaken here, but that way, if there is a positive, they're able to test a, a backup to make sure that it wasn't a, a fault of the test. Um. Which again, I mean, if, if it really was from the burrito, I guess you're taking two samples at the same time. So, you know, it's still going to, but here's the thing, you know, again, and, and this is why I have no sympathy for her at that level. You basically have to be available within, within a couple hours. Anytime somebody wants to take a test, right? You just, you know, that that's part, that's part of the cost of doing business. Part of the cost of being a, a world-class athlete, at least in, in track. Right. And so again, like, you know that there's any, there's always a chance that you could be taking, you have to take a test. Your, your window of being an elite athlete at that level is small, maybe four years, six years, eight years. And if you knew, and again, they, they know, all right, Hey, don't, don't have these types of foods. Cause they, you know, whatever. Um, you know, if you knew that having a, an authentic pork burrito could cause you to pop a positive. Why would you do it? Why would you do it? If you knew that a lemon poppy seed muffin was enough to potentially pop a positive, I don't care how much I love a lemon poppy seed muffin. I'm going to eat freaking blueberry muffins until my, my track career is, is over. Then I'll have all the freaking poppy seed muffins I can handle. Kind of feel like, and that's why I have zero sympathy. Either she knowingly cheated, she associated with a, a group that isn't uh, isn't above at all. We've we've kind of know this, right? Like they're not above towing the line and maybe trying to cross, you know, crossing the line on on performance enhancers. So they they could have done it, or you were just willing to roll the uh, at the at the best case scenario, you were willing to roll the dice with a burrito, knowing that it could give you a positive test that could jeopardize your entire career. Sorry, w one of those three is what happened. All those three were choices that she made. Make your bed, sleep in it. Um, so sorry if, if that if that upsets you. That's you know, yes, yeah, my my opinion. Um, I have zero sympathy for. Her. I, I mean, I I don't, I don't wish it upon her. You know, it sucks. But like, you made your bed. Sorry about your luck. And now it's going to cost her two Olympics. 
Right? Again, even more reason to not to not take the chance. Because this is the 2020 Olympics in 2021. The next Olympics is still going to be in 2024. So you got a four-year ban. It's out of two Olympic cycles. That sucks. Sorry. Sorry. So thanks for the question, Lewis. Hopefully uh, I didn't offend everybody by having zero sympathy, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, if you're, if you're willing to take the chance of cheating or associating with cheaters or eating a burrito that could make it look like you're a cheater. <sighs> it sucks, but sorry. Next question from Brian. Could you share your advice for those of us likely to participate in multiple events now that restrictions are being loosened. So, uh, Brian, I, I, great question. And it's certainly something that I know a, f- a few folks that I coach are dealing with or working through or have been working through or will be working through in the fall. Uh, and I'm sure more than a, a few other folks are, are in that boat as well. Um, you know, races are back. You got races that were deferred last year, races that you signed up for this year. Like, like yes, let's race. Um, if you're going to do multiple events in a short window of time, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind, assuming that they're all longer, like if you're doing a bunch of 5Ks and 10Ks, you can pretty much hammer those just about every weekend and probably be fine. If you've got a good solid base of fitness, listen to your body, you'll be okay there. If we're talking lots of you know halves and fulls and ultras, uh, you kind of have to pick one, maybe two, but probably just one that like, this is the goal race. Okay. And so everything else surrounding that, you can run in the events as training runs Try to make, maybe do some pace workouts, do some, do some, uh, just keep it an easy run. Like whatever, like you can, you can structure it different ways, but pick one that's the goal race and prioritize that above everything else in terms of, I'm going to, I'm going to just run this one for fun. I'm going to run this one. Like run the first half of it easy. The second half of the hard is a fast finish type of run, whatever, but there's only one that you're actually racing. Everything else you're running. And that's a key difference, key distinction. And you've got to be crystal clear on it and you can't waver on it. I mean, you can, but then you run in the risk of injuries, things like that, that could then ultimately put that one goal race in jeopardy. So pick the one that you want to, that you want to really hammer, that you want to prioritize, and then make sure that you're relatively disciplined on the others of keeping them simple, keeping them easy, running them for fun, etc. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, enjoy the races, like enjoy the fact that we're back to racing again, racing with other people, uh, something that, uh, long time removed and definitely ready to get back at it. So I uh, hope that helps and hope that, that your races that are coming up, whether the, the summer into the fall, uh, the events that you have planned, Brian, hope they all go smoothly for you. Next question. Another one from Melody. Any news on tattoos? No, no, not really. Um, you know, it, it, they'll, there may be another one eventually, probably be another one eventually. Um, but I feel like, like the summer in Florida, not the best time because of just the healing process. And like, I'm not going to wear sleeves and I'm not going to slather a bunch of suntan lotion and it's going to be a visible tattoo. So like, I'll wait till, I'll wait till the fall, maybe, maybe the winter, maybe. Um, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing imminent, no designs chosen, uh, nothing like that. But I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, once things, if slash when things get into gear a little bit more, um, I'll probably mention it. And, uh, so then you'll, you'll know it's coming. You'll know it's coming. Um, next question. Another one from Sherry post run stretching. I know it's important, but hate it. Uh, what would be the most beneficial stretches to do? And can you get any quality stretching done in under 15 minutes? So, um, great question, Sherry. And, and, and just like I kind of answered with, um, the question earlier for Alan about, you know, the, the things that people do before, you know, that are detrimental and, and pre-run stretching, not the biggest, not the biggest fan. In fact, it's not a good thing at all. Post-run stretching, fabulous. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it's, I don't do it, right? So clearly it's not like, 
I don't view it as like a complete and utter game changer, but it's beneficial. It's a good thing to do. Um, but post run, I mean, oh my gosh, in under 15 minutes, like, yeah, you can get quality stretching done in under five minutes. Now you might be able to make an argument that more is better, but that doesn't mean that, that a short window is not beneficial. So the things I would, I would most encourage you to, to focus on stretching. Uh, and especially if you just have a few minutes, get one minute on your left, one minute on your right, one minute on your left, one minute on your right. You got four minutes. You got all, you got your, your main base is covered. That's your quads. So the front of your thigh, it's just the easiest way to stretch that is to just, you know, grab your ankle behind you, pull your heel up towards your, towards your rear end. You should feel that stretch across the front of your thigh, right? Which is your quadricep muscle. I say your quadricep muscle. It's four muscles, which is why it's quad. Uh, but the four muscles on the front of your, your, your hip, if you can kind of angle your, your leg back a little bit more, extend your hip out, you'll even get some hip flexor, hip flexors and quads, arguably the most, most understretched, most tight, most beneficial muscles to stretch for runners. I'd say arguably like, don't hold me to that, but those are big ones. So get one minute of holding your left leg switch one minute, holding your right leg switch. So now you're not switch, but there's two minutes on your quads slash hip flexors. Then find a little step, a little incline, a little something that you can, you can cock your, your foot, the front of your foot up on to stretch your calf, right? Get one minute on your left calf, one minute on your right calf. And if you really want to get quality there, break it down to about 30 seconds with your knee locked, locked straight when you're stretching your calf and then put a little bend in your knee. You'll feel it a little bit deeper in the muscle and also down more in your Achilles tendon. Um, with your knee just slightly bent, nothing to be anything crazy, just a slight bend in your knee for the other 30 seconds to get your, your, your whole calf complex. Um, and then do the same thing on the other side. There you go. Between, between those two movements or those two stretches, one on each side, um, you know, you're looking at five minutes and, and it's, it's maybe not the best ever, but it's, it's a good place to start. doesn't take a lot of time. Definitely beneficial. So, uh, say, do as I say, not as I do here, because I have followed that post run stretching routine approximately zero times in the last year. Um, but I would say that it's not a bad plan to try to get not a good, not a bad routine to try to get myself into and, uh, you know, take it and run with it as you were, uh, Sherry, but, but yeah, definitely, definitely something that's, that's a good habit to get into. It's just not something I do either. So you're in company there, whether it's good company or bad company on the not stretching post run, uh, that's for you to decide, but there would be a good, easy way to get started. Next question from Brian. We get closing in here. We got one, two, three, four, got six more to go. Uh, five more beyond Brian's question. Uh, so Brian's question. So we all know you were not a treadmill fan yet. You are a Peloton fan. I don't quite get it. Both stationary, but yet you like one versus the other. Explain ultimately you do you. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, Brian. And, and I can't say that I haven't thought about why I'm so anti treadmill yet. I would honestly say I'd rather ride the spin bike than, than ride a proper bike outside. Um, and I don't really know why, like, I don't have a good, I think somewhere my explanation is that, um, when I'm running, like back in the day when I was in like high school and going to the gym, like I would prefer the bike over the treadmill because it was easier to read on the bike than it was to read on the treadmill. And I think, and maybe I'm drawing some conclusion there that's not really there, but I think that's kind of why it's, it's bled through. Even though I don't, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I read on the, on a bike. I don't know. I don't know. I don't read on a bike. Um, but I think that's, I think that is maybe where the seed was planted. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I don't have a good explanation. It is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the spin bike over the, the road bike for absolute sure. And obviously no way that I would take the treadmill over Like I, I, I'll do nothing. Like I'll at least ride a bike outside treadmill. No, thanks. No, thanks. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about the treadmill. Maybe, I'm probably, yeah, I don't know, but great question. Terrible answer. But for whatever reason, for me inside on the bike, yeah, it's not a big deal at all. Like I don't, I don't mind it at all inside on the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, some weird, weird tick in my brain, but that's, that's how it shaked out. And thankfully I, I don't foresee a situation where I would have to get rid of the spin bike or where I would have to invest in a treadmill. So I'm going to keep on keeping on, uh, and keep doing me right. You do you. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm doing. Um, and it's working, so we'll stick with it. But yeah, I, I don't know, Brian, I have no idea why one works and one doesn't because pretty clearly they're uh, uh, pretty close to the same thing. I mean, obviously they're different, but like I get, I get your, the sentiment of your question and I don't know. I don't know. Time for the, uh, the monthly trifecta from, uh, from New York. Tom's three questions. First one, any suggestions for what to do in the hours after a marathon? If I finish around 11 AM, should I just sit on the couch for the rest of the day? So, uh, Tom's gearing up for his first marathon. Uh, which is, which is exciting. And, and, uh, it's been a bit of a saga with COVID and not sure and not sure. And it's going to happen. So, uh, post marathon, Tom, um, you know, I, I think that, that the idea of just kind of maxing and relaxing is, is sound. I like that idea. Um, that said, try to mix in a little bit of easy movement throughout the day as well. Um, nothing crazy, but you know, sitting on, sitting on the couch, sitting on, uh, sitting around, you know, the, 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 the patio outside, whatever, um, make sure you're drinking plenty of fluids, which is going to necessitate having to go to the bathroom a few times. So it's helpful there as well, but the fluids are going to be good to help with the recovery process, help kickstart that, make sure that you're replacing everything you lost in sweat during the race. Um, but it's going to force you to get up to refill the, the drink to unload the bladder, um, which is going to just, require you to get up and move a little bit throughout the day. Um, because if you just sit for a while, you're going to get like, I don't know. I mean, you're going to be probably sore anyway. Um, you know, first marathon trying to push pretty good. Like, like it's, it, it's hard to put into words how that like, it may not be that bad, but in my experience, it's not going to be the, the, the best feeling. It'll be a great feeling that you did the marathon. You're going to be a little bit sore though. Right. And so doing some of that easy movement, it's just kind of helps things to helps keep things from getting too stiff. Um, I always find whether it's a post long run, post marathon, whatever, um, that the worst is always when you go from sitting to standing and the longer you're sitting, the worse it is. But once you get up and move for 20 seconds, once you take the dog for the walk or whatever, just walk around the block or whatever. Um, like once you start moving a little bit, nothing crazy. Like I wouldn't run, but once you start moving a little bit, like, eh, you know, everything's kind of all right. We're good. You get that blood flowing. You get some of that, that stiffness, that, that cellular repair, uh, kind of, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't break loose, but like you just get like the body starts moving again and oh, okay, we're, we're okay. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Relax for the most part, but plan to do a little bit of just easy movement. Again, take the dog for a walk, walk around the block with your wife. Um, maybe lays in the pool. If you've got a pool, um, just walk around the house, like maybe, you know, pulling some weeds or, you know, I don't even know if I'd go that crazy, but just doing something, you can come paint the house if you want. Uh, but just doing some, some little movements, some easy stuff. It's all under control, nothing crazy, nothing stressful. Um, but just that keeps you from sitting too much. Like that's the ideal. Um, but
for the most part, relish the fact that you just ran a marathon and that's, that's the name of the game. That's the name of the game, but yeah, easy movement. Um, and, and hopefully basking in the, in the, the glow of a successful marathon debut. So hope it went well, looking forward to, to, I guess as you're maybe listening to this, hope it goes well. Uh, but, uh, hopefully, uh, can't wait to hear how it went once it did go. Uh, next question from Tom, what is your favorite ice cream flavor and favorite topping? So this is, this is a question that I don't know how to answer because I feel like favorite ice cream flavor is kind of like favorite. I would say favorite band, but you all know what my favorite band is, but like favorite song, um, favorite movie, favorite TV show, like my favorite ice cream flavor. Like there's a handful cookies and cream is a good one. Uh, mint chocolate chip, of course. Um, you know, like a, a black cherry. I like something like that. Um, but it kind of varies depended on the mood. You know, sometimes, sometimes mint chocolate chip is what I want. And if I had to say, like, if I had to say favorite, like that would probably be it. But sometimes I don't want mint chocolate chip. doesn't mean I don't like it. It's just, you know, I want something else that time. So I feel like the favorite ice cream flavor is a tough one. Cause it, there's, there's, there's a few that are in discussion. Uh, for the most part, there's not really bad ice cream. There's just, you know, there's, there's ones I like better. Right. Um, that said, favorite topping, I will say this, that with good ice cream, toppings are unnecessary. Like toppings are only required when the ice cream is not very good. Um, so, you know, I, I try to avoid bad ice cream and then I don't need toppings. But if I have bad ice cream, uh, and it, it's going to depend a little bit on the flavor, uh, but chocolate syrup is, is always good. Peanut butter, also good. Um, peanut butter and chocolate syrup. Now you're, now we're getting somewhere. Um, but hopefully I'm not having that much bad ice cream that I need to worry too much about toppings, but I, I don't need the nuts and I don't need the, certainly no whipped cream. Ugh. Like, I mean, I, I like whipped cream, but not, not with my ice cream. No, 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 no. But, uh, but yeah, favorite topping, I guess would be either tied between either chocolate syrup and or peanut butter. Um, but only on ice cream that requires it. If I've got good ice cream, we're good enough. Thanks. Hold, hold the toppings if you will. Um, boy, my voice is going, but we got three questions left. We're going to make it through. Hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. I feel like it's getting a little raspy, but you tell me. Uh, last question from Tom. Now that you have lived in Florida for a while, do you ever miss cool or cold weather running? So uh, the short answer is no. Um, but but uh, the, the more nuanced answer here, Tom, is actually I never really was that much of a runner before living in Florida. Um, I guess I really kind of started, started sort of running um, semi-consistently when we lived in Tennessee, when I was at Middle Tennessee State. But... There I was, I was, I was either running inside on the indoor track with the, with the, with the team or at outdoor meets, but outdoor meets were in the spring in the South. So it was never really that cold. Like cold was never a factor or even outdoor practice. We were, we didn't practice. We had an indoor track. So if it was cold, we, we practiced indoors or they practiced indoors and I would run on the indoor track. If it was, if it was warm, we, they practiced outdoors and I'd run on the outdoor track. Um, so I don't really have a history of actually running in proper cold weather. Like I've never was a runner in Michigan when I lived there. Um, other than I would run a little bit just in, in preparation for like hockey season. But again, I was running not when it was super cold. So whatever, or I was on the treadmill. I ran some treadmill miles back then. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, have never really been a cold weather runner, so I can't really say I miss it. Um, we do get some cool days in Florida and, and if I'm honest, I mean like the real cool, like the, the, the winter days where it's like 33 degrees, 34 degrees, which I know that isn't the same as your winter, but if it was 33 degree, degrees tomorrow, you'd be like, damn, it's kind of chilly out in, for, for June, right? So like when it's 33 degrees in, in January in Michigan, or in, not in Michigan, when 33 degrees in January in Florida, I'm like, damn, it's kind of chilly here right now. Um, 
those aren't my favorite days to run. I get them in, I get it done. It's not that bad, but you know, I, I, I like warm weather running. I think better. I like to, I like to feel like I'm sweating. I, I feel like I'm more accomplished when I'm sweating more. So I kind of like, I kind of like running in the heat, I guess. Obviously I don't like running in the heat this time of year when it's oppressive, but I'll take that over the cold weather running any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Absolutely. So, so no, I, I don't really have much experience running in really cool slash cold weather. And, uh, if it's all the same to you, I, I have no desire to get that experience. So there you go. There you go. But thanks for the questions as always, Tom, and hope that the, hope the, uh, the Buffalo marathon is a good one. Uh, last two questions. First one from Rob, uh, cadence, what's your thoughts on importance, monitoring and improving? Um, Oh man, here's another ranty kind of question. Um, I think that the focus on 180 cadence, 180 steps per minute as like this mecca, beautiful, everything we should strive for is, is again, ridiculous. It's one size fits all thoughts. Um, I think that there, everybody has an ideal cadence. I think that in general, it's going to be in that 180 ballpark plus or minus, I don't know, six, eight, 10. Um, but there's too many factors that are involved. If you have really long legs, you might not need your, your ideal cadence very well may not be 180. It might be closer to 170. If you have really short legs, your ideal cadence may be a little bit longer, a little bit higher than 180. Um, I think that also it depends on the, the, what you're doing running wise. You know, if you're doing a, a speed workout at the track, your cadence is probably going to be higher than 180. If you're doing a, a, a long, easy run, it's probably going to be less than 180. And that's okay. That's okay. Because you know, like like we got to remember that when this whole 180 thing was figured out, it was from watching elite runners in a marathon, running at race pace in a marathon, and that was the average. Not that that was every single runner was at 180. It was the average. So I kind of feel like like we 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 hear this number, and and there's a good reason that you can make an argument. There's a good reason that that's kind of the the thing that we need to keep in mind. But this was an average of elites. Racing a marathon. As such, we who are not elites and may are probably not racing a marathon every day. There's probably gonna be some play in there. So I think that, that yes, there's a, there's a, there's a time and a place to say, wow, you need to pick up your cadence a little bit. And I, and, and I don't want to put a number out there because what works for one may not work for the other. And, and, and if we say that, Oh, like 180, like that might be like, you might, your case might be 178. Like, Oh, that sounds perfect. Well, maybe that's too slow or too fast for you. I don't know. Um, but I think that, I, I guess I think ultimately that unless you're like, if you feel like it's too, too low, maybe, maybe play with it. Maybe that's ultimately the answer. You know, if, you, if you're not sure if it's the right cadence for you, then, then consciously try to take more steps, try to speed up your cadence a little bit, see how that feels. Does it feel all right? Well, maybe, maybe picking it up a little bit might be right for you. If it feels like you're, you're chopping your steps, then maybe that slower cadence might be all right. Um, but I think, I think we put way too much importance on it. I think it's a, I think it's a number worth considering, but I think that, that just looking at your, your Garmin data and and having it, having your, your wrist, which I know it's pretty much the same. You're swinging your arms at the same time you're moving your feet. So I, I get that it's, it's fairly accurate. But I think that saying that, oh, because my wrist said my cadence was, was 172 and I heard this 180, like I need to pick it up, like calm down, calm down. Maybe it, you'd benefit from it. Maybe you were just running easy that day and, and you weren't pushing it and your cadence was a little bit lower than what you would normally have during a 5K or a 10K or a marathon anyway. So maybe 
it ain't broke, don't fix it, I think. Um, I don't know. I have some thoughts on Cadence. I think it's a valuable number, but I think it's an overhyped data point um, that we spend way too much time and energy focused on when landing landing point would be a, a more important thing to, to work on. As in, don't land with your foot out in front of you. Land with your foot as close to underneath the center mass as possible. Um, you know, forward lean, posture. Like, I think there's a lot of things that form related that if you if you address those, the cadence kind of takes care of itself. Um, but what do I know? I'm just a guy that talks in a microphone and lets his voice fade on him as he goes. So there's that. Uh, but thanks for the question, Rob. And, and like I said, I've had I've had talks with with PTs, physical therapists. Um, that, that are like, yeah, cadence way overrated. Some of them are like, yeah, it's gotta be one. Eight. So like, there's not even a consensus there with people that shouldn't, should know that kind of stuff. Um, and that do know that kind of stuff, which just makes me think even more so that like, eh, ish, ish, uh, when it comes to cadence, uh, last question from, thanks for the question there, Rob. I appreciate it. Last question from Michaela. Hopefully my voice will make it. Uh, what is your most irrational fear while out on the trails? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know that I have an irrational fear out on the trails, which doesn't mean that I don't have a fear out on the trails, but I feel like the things that I'm pseudo, I don't want to say afraid of, but I'm at least cognizant of the, 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 the things that, that maybe I'm a little bit afraid of once in a while are things that are all very rational, you know, like I'm, I'm not afraid, but like, I'm at least semi worried about the fact that like I could trip on a trail and like break an arm, break a wrist, break a collarbone, like I don't really want to do that. Um, and I don't, I don't think that being fearless of the possibility of tripping and breaking something, I don't feel like that would be rational. So I feel like having that little bit of a fear, like that's a rational one. Um, you know, like depending on where I'm running, like there's an awareness of venomous snakes. There's an awareness of alligators. And I don't think that that's irrational. Um, I suppose I'm... I, if I was going to be out there for a long time, there'd be a, a slight fear of running out of fluids, but I don't think that would be irrational. Like, like I, I honestly can't think of a fear that would be irrational. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like those are all things that, that have crossed my mind before, but they're rational, right? And rational fear, I think is a good thing. Rational fear is something that, uh, is, is how we made it to this point in our existence, you know? Um, Obviously, the risks that I'm not unwilling to take, I'm not unwilling to not run on the trails for fear of falling and breaking something. I'm not unwilling to run on the trails for fear of coming across a cottonmouth or an alligator. I'm not unwilling to run on the trails for fear of running out of water. Um, but they're they're there, and there's p- certain precautions that are taken. I think that's rational. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have an, a, a ration, an irrational fear of like, you know, some some type of nonsense coming across. Uh, and, and Monday's in the next episode with, with uh, Sarah Kedge, she tells a little story of coming across a couple of folks on a trail run that were enjoying each other's company, if you will. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that would be that would be the story for the ages, right? So like, that, I wouldn't be afraid of that. Like, that would be. I, I mean, it would be awkward, but that would be an awesome story. Um, but like, I don't, I'm not afraid of something like that. I'm not afraid really of getting lost. But even in getting lost, that would be a rational fear. So I don't know. I, I don't know what an, an irrational fear of being out on the trails would be. Um, so I guess I'm going to take the cop out and say I don't have one. I don't have an irrational fear because the things I'm afraid of on the trails, 
or at least worried about, or at least aware of, I think they're all rational. And maybe that's just my own bias of saying that I'm a rational person. I don't know. Um, but there you go. There you go. That's, that's, that's that, um, terrible, terrible answer to wrap up the, the, what was a good question. What was a good bulk of questions, terrible answer to, to leave y'all on, but that's, that's where we are. And that's, you know, we're not going to shuffle the deck just to make sure we, we end on a high note, but, uh, thank you for the question, Michaela. And, and you know, I'll turn it around, not just to you, but to all of y'all listening. Uh, what are y'all, what is y'all most irrational fear while you're out on the trails? I'd love to, love to hear what some of those are. Cause I'm, I'm sure I, I might have some of them. I might share some of them. Just nothing comes to mind. Nothing comes to mind. So there we go. That's it. That's this month's episode of questions and Look at that. We're well inside of two hours. Well, outside of an hour, but we're well inside of two hours. Closer to two hours than one hour, but uh, not by much. Not by much. So uh, we'll call it a win. We'll call it, I'll call it a win. You call it what you want to call it. Uh, But thank you all for listening. Uh, Once again, if you want to join the Facebook group, it's the best way to get your questions answered. Uh, Dizruns.com slash Facebook. And uh, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? What answers were not satisfactory? Let me know at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. You can also send an email to Dizruns at gmail.com. Of course, you can head over to the show notes today where with way too much time and attention paid to the memes and gifs. Uh, but you can check those out at disruns.com slash 955. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave a comment down there in the comment section. And uh, with that, before my, my voice gets any worse, we'll wrap this one up and call it a day. But thanks, y'all, for listening. If you enjoyed this one, hit that share button. Always appreciate that. Until next time, y'all, please be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. Even though I just said that, I'm going to thank you again. And uh, until next time, see you.